You're listening to the Domecast, where news and observer journalists take a look back and forward in North Carolina politics. And welcome to Domecast. I'm Jordan Schrader, and I'm here with Colin Campbell and Craig Jarvis of the NNO. Uh, later, we'll be joined by Anna Douglas. Uh, but for now, uh, we're talking about the uh, ongoing 2016 elections. Uh, it just doesn't end. Uh, we've got several close races, most prominently the race for governor, in which uh, Roy Cooper leads Pat McCrory by several thousand votes, uh, but in which uh, the governor has been filing, uh, or his allies anyway, have been filing uh, election complaints around the state in over 50 counties. And uh, so this has prolonged uh, this and uh, along with a court case involving uh, the um, how people get registered have prolonged the uh, the counting process that was supposed to be over as we record this uh, today, Friday, as counties were supposed to be canvassing their votes. That's going to go on into next week. Uh, so uh, Craig, you've been following this all week long. It probably feels like more than a week. Um, what what uh, has been going on, and why is this taking so long? That's probably a philosophical question that I can't answer because I don't really know. The uh, the two things that you mentioned. There's the uh, this issue stemming from the federal court case, the motor voter uh, law, where people were supposed to be given an opportunity when they go to the DMV or other public assistance offices to register to vote. And some number of those people who said they registered at the DMV uh, didn't uh, show up on the voter rolls. So if, if I recall right, a, a federal judge uh, said those people had to be accommodated. Those votes had to be counted. So, And that was not too long before the election day. So the, that's one thing that's kind of caused things to slow down. The board had to scramble. And, and that issue is still unresolved. These were provisional ballots that, that um, the county boards are waiting for a final word from the uh, Board of Elections, and the Board of Elections is waiting for uh, some data, uh, maybe, from the Department of Motor Vehicles. I think data continues to roll in, and they're, it's getting processed. So, so there's that. There's just the larger number of provisional ballots that we had to sort out to begin with, somewhere between you know maybe 30 and 60,000. Um, also slowing things down, the uh, as you said, the McCrory campaign and Republican officials started filing a flurry of protests over specific ballots uh, that were counted in 52 counties, I guess. And uh, the first batch of those counties uh, went against the, went, went against the uh, went against them on that went against McCrory and the Republicans. And it's interesting to note that all these election boards are Republican. Dominated. There are three member boards, two Republicans, one Democrat. So that's kind of where we are. I just a minute ago uh, got a, a, a text that the McCrory campaign is filing a, uh, they're asking the State Board of Elections to take all these protests away from the various counties and decide it themselves. And this is after a day in which they lost, I think, five, six maybe like um, at the county level. And, and it initially said, uh, and this is the, the ability they have under state law, that they were going to appeal those to the State Board of Elections. Uh, but I would gather this would speed up the process if the sense is that all of these are going to end up at the State Board of Elections. If the county board is rejecting them, 
and then they're just going to get appealed. And if you take all 50 yeah. or 60 protests and run them up to the state board of elections, maybe this will get resolved a little bit faster, but yeah. I wouldn't count on that. And maybe it'll work to their advantage, they think. I, I'm not sure. I mean, it's just speculation. They're Easier to convince them, five, three yeah. out of five yeah. than opposed to two out of three right. in 50 different places. Right. But here, the, I'm sorry, the Wake, Wake Board of Elections was uh, very adamant about sort of holding their feet to the fire on where, where did you get this information? Why do you think this set of people or, or uh, you know, their vote shouldn't be counted? A lot of it had to do with potentially duplicating duplicate votes, like somebody voting in Wake County than in some other state. And they, this was gleaned from commercial databases that caused them to think that. But uh, they, basically, the, the ruling in that case was they need more probable cause than just some spreadsheet. Yeah. So let's talk about what's what's being alleged in all these complaints, because like we said, they're all over the state. So this started in Durham, where there was a, uh, a ton of ballots that were showed up late on election day and helped uh, propel Roy Cooper into the the lead. And uh, in that case, uh, a lawyer for the uh, Republicans is arguing that Durham County needs to do a, a hand recount of paper ballots. Uh, the uh, there was a memory problem with some of the cards that stored the information from the, the tabulators that you feed your ballot into. And uh, so the people at the Durham County Board of Elections had to uh, manually count these using the, the paper tape that's spit out by the, uh, by the tabulator machines. And uh, the Republicans are saying that uh, they should now count the, the paper ballots because they can't rely on the, the tape. Um, but that was unanimously rejected today by the uh, Board of Elections in Durham, which, like all of these boards, is, is controlled two to one by the Republicans. Uh, so uh, that was sort of the big one we were watching for today, and uh, our reporter Virginia Bridges was there covering that. Uh, and then the two of you were, were watching a bunch of other complaints around the state where um, I guess it was a mix of things. We've got sort of two categories. There's these absentee ballots, uh, and then there's these allegations of people, dead people voting, felons voting, people voting more than once. Um, so first, the absentee ballots. So, uh, um, Craig, what's what's going on with those? How did how did that get started, and uh, what's what's the problem? Um, the problem with absentee ballots, I'm not sure what you... What oh, so so this is the one that first we saw it in Bladen County, right? right, And then uh, oh, now it's the, expanded to a number of other yeah, places. Mean, I'm sorry, you mean the mail-in ballots? Yeah, the mail-in ballots. Where there was duplicate, similar handwriting. There's like, it, it, they noticed a bunch of these uh, provisional ballot or mail-in ballots had similar handwriting. And they brought in a handwriting expert even who determined that it looked like a group of six or seven people had... Uh, had uh, been involved in filling out or signing um, some number, maybe 400, is that right? Yeah, it was, it was several hundred yeah, in, several in hundred Bladen County. In Bladen County. Um, but, uh, Colin, you're probably more up to speed on that. I mean, as I understand it, what we're really talking about here are people who were involved in get-out-the-vote drives and helped people yeah, fill out so, their ballots. So basically this started in Bladen because they did notice that this sort of common pattern of handwriting arose. And the reason they noticed the handwriting uh, was that all of these voters were voting for a write-in candidate for the local soil and water commission. Um, that's usually the only time you're going to see, uh, you know, a word written out on a ballot. In this case, it was a lot of the, the same handwriting, and that's not illegal. You can do that if a voter is 
unable to fill out the ballot on their own. Someone can legally assist them uh, in, in those circumstances. But when you do that, you're required to sign something on the back of the ballot that says you are the person who assisted in filling out the ballot. Apparently, this didn't. This group didn't do this. This was a group uh, called the Bladen County Improvement Association, and they're a political action committee. They get some funding from the state Democratic <coughs> Party, and then they. Uh, offer some small payments up to uh, what they term volunteers, but they are getting uh, some payment for ostensibly food and gas money uh, to go around and basically ask people, you know, are you interested in, in voting by mail and, and doing an absentee ballot? Can I help you go through the process? And, and by the way, here's our slate of endorsed candidates. In this case, the slate of endorsed candidates included this obscure write-in soil and water candidate whose name was Franklin Graham, not to be confused with Franklin Graham, the preacher man and son of Billy Graham. So all that confusion sort of uh, bubbles up in, in Bladen County, results in this um, contested issue that the uh, McCrory campaign seems to be somewhat uh, connected to in, in raising this concern in Bladen. They then go from there and look at all the other similar uh, political action groups that the Democratic Party gave money to also during the same frame of time in October. So similar payments, similar groups, different counties, and they file... Um, complaints in 11 different counties in those cases. Um, one of the common threads I noticed in going through the, the records of these groups is the majority of them are um, African-American community groups that do these get-out-the-vote drives um, every time there's an election and they get some help from the, the state party in, in funding the process. Um, the other counties, as far as I know, none of them seem to involve uh, concrete evidence that the process of uh, assisting a, a voter with the ballot and then signing the form wasn't followed. Um, in Halifax County, which is where I went today to follow up on the similar complaint up there, all they were alleging was that the same people served as witnesses for multiple voters who were filing absentee ballots, which there's really nothing illegal with that. And, and the uh, County Board of Elections up there said as much and very quickly dismissed the uh, the claims on that issue. There's still, I think, some pending in a few other counties. And somewhere, um, uh, the McCrory campaign had told us they were going to be filing these absentee ballot uh, complaints um, in other counties on Thursday. And as of about 4.50 or so on, on Thursday afternoon when I was calling around to these counties, they hadn't received it. And I understand some haven't even uh, received them today. So we'll see if um, this uh, full promise to do 12 different counties on, on this absentee ballot issue actually comes through because so far uh, we've only seen a few of them and, and really only blatant seems to be the one that we're going to hear about for a while. That one's not going to get resolved until uh, I'm told next week at the earliest. So that's, that's the one to watch. I think the other ones are um, a little more tenuous. And you talked to one of these groups in Bladen that... Yeah, so yeah, I talked to the group and the guy basically said, um, you know, we, this was an honest mistake. We we just didn't know and our volunteers didn't know they were supposed to sign this thing on the form. We're not coer coercing the vo voters in any way. They are each individually legitimate voters. Um, apparently these groups go ground. They hand them the, the slate of endorsed candidates, but they, they'll help you vote even if you're voting a straight Republican ticket. Um, they're not you know, only helping you if you're, you're willing to vote a certain way. Um, and this guy felt like that his group is, is being targeted, and he says it's because they're an African-American group, that the, the Republicans in that county would like to see their group go away and um, not have the, the influence of a group that goes around and uh, helps people vote. It was interesting to me, he also said that the, the reason people like to absentee vote down there is they have intimidation issues at the polls, that uh, they try to hand out these sample ballots, and they get told um, 
illegally so that they can't hand out the sample ballots outside the polls, which is what you know people do at just about every polling place. So there's there's a lot of odd things in Bladen County, which you know if I had more time, I'd like to go down there and uh, take a look into it uh, myself because it's uh, certainly a fascinating case down there. So then then after all this kind of got uh, bounced around for a day, we had an even bigger round uh, of uh, challenges filed by um, uh, people who, uh, th- which the McCrory campaign then uh, promoted, um, which was filed in, I think, 50 counties, uh, basically saying that, that dead people and felons and uh, people voting twice um, we're all voting. And so um, what what happened there? Uh, I guess, Craig, what, well, what, what, what's happened with those? I guess what those? we know of that, uh, if you take my, uh, Wake County as a microcosm, there were both of those issues. There were <clears throat> a couple of people who uh, who are dead now and yet voted in the recent election. And they uh, died in September, early October, I think, like in Wake. It was October, yeah. Uh, and it was after they had mailed in ballots, and then, you know, they died. And I don't know what the answer to that is. I understand there's a little gray area that uh, I was told at the at the wake meeting that the state board interprets this to be interprets the law to be if you are not alive on election day, your vote doesn't count. I don't know if that's the end end of the word or not. Yeah, we're we're trying to get some further details on that, but it's uh, the interesting part of that is knowing whether. Uh, if, if you died, did they then check the absentee voting records against death certificates in that county? Mm-hmm. Or is it a matter of you do have to file a protest, as seems to be the case yeah. um, in these? And obviously, the um, it seems like the, the Republican Party or the McCrory campaign uh, has some sort of database that they're, they're referencing this information right. in. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, uh, the other person I want to talk to is the people, family members of these people who are yeah, having yeah. their votes contested mm-hmm. after, you know, probably a tragic couple of months yes, a kick in the teeth and i think lynn found a, a similar situations with people who uh ha- had just recently died and i think also uh as we did in wake a recent felon somebody was just convicted in october or a short time before election day and had been put on probation so that means they're uh, serving an active sentence so you can't vote uh so, but neither of these are really what you think of as traditional, you know, dead people voting or yeah. Felons. When you when you hear about the dead people voting, you're thinking someone has gone in, they've looked up the name of a person right. who's registered to vote, but just happens to be yeah. dead and is probably not going to vote, yeah. and then goes in and says, "I'm that person," and then right. you vote. And that's that's part of the was I guess part of the concerns that prompted voter ID was that if you had required a photo ID, somebody couldn't impersonate a dead person right. and then go vote. But in this case, yeah. the the actual dead person themselves was the person who cast the ballot. It just yeah. happens that they are now dead. Your final indignity is your vote doesn't count. Yeah, because so. I talked to some people this, who felt this election was important, and that's why they wanted to vote early, just in case there was some <laughs> sort of accident that happened yeah. and they didn't make it to election day. At least they could get in there yeah. vote for their preferred candidate. It happens. <laughs> so so is, uh, go ahead. No, go ahead. <laughs> I was just going to say this is slowed up. Most this was all supposed to be resolved today. The county boards were supposed to do their final verification today, but turns out most of them, by far, have uh, have decided to extend their deadline. You know, Wake County they're going to wait till actually not next week, but November 30th, to give the state time to deal with these de- these motor voter ballots and any other provisionals that are still floating around out there. So there's a lot we still don't know about what's going to happen to all these challenges, uh, but the trend so far is not great for uh, McCrory or the other Republicans who um, are hoping that uh, some of these stick. And there's um, just not that many of them compared to no, small, the vote potatoes. gap between 
Cooper and McCrory, assuming it holds up, and it seems to be through some of the early numbers yeah. we're seeing on provisional ballots. Yeah. Wake today added 2,000 to the McCrory, I mean, to the Cooper advantage. I think uh, Mecklenburg had a, at least a few hundred yeah. uh, on that count as well. So the, the number on the State Board of Elections website has gone up to around 6,000, 6,600 yeah, 6, 6, or yeah. so uh, margin between the two. Um, and I think if you look at all the 50 or 60 complaints that have been filed, the number of ballots involved probably doesn't come up to that level. It might be, if I had to guess, probably in the hundreds. But if assuming all those votes were thrown out and they were votes for Roy Cooper, uh, which is you know not necessarily a given either, that's probably not enough to sway things to the governor's advantage, unless the provisional ballots tighten up things to where it's you know within a five or six hundred vote margin instead of five or six thousand. Yeah, and that's pretty much what the uh, Cooper. Uh, campaign post-election legal team is saying they had a press call in today and they said basically under no scenario can Cooper uh, McCrory close the gap they claim to have internal calculations that show um, you know more than a 7,000 vote lead which is possible since he started out I mean he's had a 5,000 vote lead since election day and if Wake just added 2,000 more I mean it doesn't take much more to to get up there. Yeah, and the trend historically has been that provisional ballots tend to lean more towards more Democrats. Yeah. I think some of that is just you you have a lot of people who, who tend to vote Democrats yeah. who are lower income and more yeah. transient, so they might be at the right. wrong polling place or something right. like that if, if I had to uh, assess a possible reason for that. But if you look back at, at previous elections that have been close and yeah. have gone to provisionals, that's that's certainly been the trend. Yeah, and the Republican response to all this is simply that, you know, are you kidding? The math is, is, it doesn't work out that way. There's like 80 counties that have decided they need more time. This, you know, we're not, we're nowhere near the end of this. Lots of things could happen, I guess. And they're really sort of raising the flag of voter fraud in a, a lot of this, which I, I don't know if the the evidence bears up, but certainly, to me, I think this almost sets the stage for voter ID 2.0. If whether or not McCrory ends up coming out on top of this or not, um, this is going to sort of put a lot of evidence out there that the state legislature, should they want to go back and do another election law bill to uh, make up for the one that was was overturned in federal court, um, that this will get them the fodder to uh, make some changes and, and, and make the case that um, there are some, some substantial problems in how we vote and how we protect uh, felons and mm-hmm. dead people from ending up having votes that count just as much as my vote or your vote. Yeah, I think that's the narrative that's going to come out of this. As you said, no matter who wins, it's going to be there was rampant, if not fraud, then irregularities or rampant questions, questions that the Republicans raised. So I don't know who's going to, uh, you know, hopefully we'll answer them at some point. All right. Well, we're going to take a break, and then we're going to uh, talk to Anna Douglas of our D.C. Bureau. Uh, before we do, uh, we'll, uh, we'll hear from a couple of the players. Uh, one is Thomas Stark, uh, who was the uh, lawyer who filed the complaint in the Durham case. And uh, one is Congressman uh, G.K. Butterfield, who uh, you talked to in, in uh, Halifax yeah, County Yeah, he was today, in Halifax right? County today. Um, I, I think he was uh, hoping if it, if it went to a hearing that he would speak on behalf of uh, 
the, the people whose uh, absentee votes were being challenged. Uh, he told me he was going to try to go to all the, uh, the county board meetings in his district in eastern North Carolina where there were some protests filed by the McCrory administration, um, although he was having just as much trouble as we were trying to figure out exactly when every county was meeting. But he uh, had some pretty strong words for the governor and, and for this whole uh, protest effort, so we can take a listen to that. Yeah, that's been part of the trouble is just logistically trying to figure out when all these boards are meeting. They all have multiple procedural uh, things that they yeah, have to do. there are 100 counties. None of them have very good websites, so you kind of have to get everybody on the phone um, and, and try to find out when they're having a meeting. And that was the thing when I was in Halifax, the guy that um, had filed the complaint there, who is a local uh, Republican Party vice chairman of some sort, uh, he shows up an hour late because he, he was told, he says, um, that the meeting was starting at 11 a.m. The hearing itself was starting at 10 a.m., and they were doing like a canvas of provisional ballots at, at 11. So he shows up late, and his, uh, his two complaints were already thrown out before he got there, so he was none too pleased. All right. Well, we'll take a quick break. We'll hear from both of those folks, and then we'll uh, we'll come back and hear from Anna. It's very disturbing. It's obviously a coordinated effort by Pat McCrory, uh, as he is going down into defeat, uh, to uh, try to find some creative ways to reverse this defeat. Uh, it's very disappointing that 12 protests have been found all across the state, including the one here in Halifax County. These protests are frivolous, they're unfounded, they set forth no factual allegations at all. Uh, Bladen County may be an exception, and that's going to have to be litigated, I suppose. But all of the other counties that these protests have been filed in uh, have no basis whatsoever in law. And the Board of Elections here in Halifax County did the absolute correct thing. The only choice they had this morning was to dismiss the petition without a hearing. Are you concerned also about the uh, complaints that were filed, I guess, in 50 counties yesterday regarding uh, the potential for uh, dead voters, uh, convicted felon voters, and folks voting in, in two states? Is, is that uh, something that perhaps had more merit than this, or is that also uh, sort of a similar tactic from the McCrory folks? It's another demonstration of voter intimidation. You know, the African American community has been accustomed to voter intimidation for for decades, and this is targeting African-American communities and their participation in the past election. Uh, Governor McGrory should stop this uh, embarrassment uh, to his legacy and embarrassment to the Republican Party. The voters spoke on Election Day. The provisionals are being finalized uh, as we speak, and it's clear that Warren Cooper has won this election. It's time for Pat McGrory to concede the election as Hillary Clinton conceded the election to President-elect Donald Trump. Is there a pattern that you see among the uh, counties that uh, have been affected with these complaints very similar to Bladen? Uh, it seems like the one threat is that these are all groups that receive some amount of funding from the state Democratic Party and uh, from looking at a lot of do appear to be African-American community groups doing uh, the effort. Is that your take as well? It is my take that there's a direct correlation between the, the counties that were selected for challenge uh, and the, the active participation of black political action committees. Uh, and there's a clear correlation between uh, that protest across the state and those communities with high concentrations of African Americans. Uh, it's, it's very clear what they're doing. Uh, at least the Halifax County Board of Elections saw through it this morning, dismissed the complaint, and I suspect that other boards will be doing the same thing. If this were in a court of law, uh, the gentleman who brought this petition would be required to pay uh, fees and penalties for bringing criminals lawsuits. They don't have that in the court of election. 
Well, I think it's wrongly decided. I mean, it's not like there's overwhelming evidence that there are thousands of votes. Uh, you don't know. The, the data streams that they were looking at were both coming through the same chips, through the same uh, PCMCIA cards. Um, you know, we, I didn't think that this was going to result in a big change. I thought it would result in some change. And uh, we want elections to be honest. So I, I was... I actually thought that they wanted us to make a motion to rerun these ballots because they wanted an excuse to do it because they were concerned about it. It's been a real odd outcome. Well, the representative of the Cooper campaign, I guess, was uh, speaking and instantly went to race as the basis for any challenge. And that is fundamentally not what this is about. That's not what I'm about. That's not what the Republican Party is about. Um, when I made this challenge, I did it because there was a legitimate concern about the functioning of the machines. And we all should be worried about the integrity of elections. But it is, the news of this day is that the Democrats immediately went to race as the explanation for what was going on. And that's not the basis, and that they went there shows you that, what are they trying to hide something? The, the chairman of the Durham County Republican Party is African American. This, this party, the Republican Party that I'm a member of, is about reaching out to all people wherever they are because the Republican Party thinks that their message is strong and that it resonates with all groups. And to suggest that race is driving this is, I don't know, it's it's a system of trying to, to dominate people and direct them and control them in how they vote. The Republican Party stands for people analyzing the issues and make their, making their personal decisions. And we think that our ideas resonate. And welcome back to Domecast. Uh, and now we've got Anna Douglas in our DC Bureau uh, who was reporting today on uh, one of the uh, picks that was made as the Trump administration comes together. Uh, Donald Trump uh, announced that he's uh, appointing, nominating uh, Jeff Sessions, uh, the Alabama senator, uh, as the next U.S. Attorney General. Uh, so uh, that has some implications for North Carolina. But uh, first of all, Anna, uh, tell us a little bit about uh, Jeff Sessions and his history. Well, one thing that we know about Senator Sessions is, you know, both in his time as a as a state attorney general in Alabama, and then also here in D.C. and in the U.S. Senate, he's you know clearly has very strong conservative credentials. I mean, if if any of the Trump supporters were concerned at any point in time during the campaign that somehow you know Trump's administration wouldn't look very similar to past. Uh, conservative administrations that they've appreciated and respected, then this would sort of assuage some of those concerns. Because if you're a, if you're a staunch Republican uh, conservative living anywhere in the United States, more than likely uh, you've, you've heard Jeff Sessions' name and, and you probably know his work from being a senator. And uh, he has you know different things that he's he's voted on in in the past in Congress. He's uh, voted against LGBT rights. Um, he's voted for constitutional amendment uh, to uh, define marriage as only between one man and one woman. He 
supported voter ID laws, uh, and and like, like that in North Carolina. He's not really. I don't. I don't think we've heard him say exactly his stance on a on a bill like a bathroom bill like HB two. Um, if you, if we had to do some guesswork there, we would probably find that he would at least err on the side of that being the autonomy that, that or the purview of the states. Um, I don't know that he would go as far as to say that there should be a national uh, decree on that issue. So, um, yeah. of course, he's also... So where does that... Uh, sorry to interrupt. Where, where does that uh, leave us in the, in the case uh, in North Carolina uh, over HB2? Uh, of course, the Justice Department is a major player in that case, uh, and he's going to be sure. leading the Justice Department. So uh, all of a sudden, uh, opponents of House Bill 2 are going to be potentially losing uh, a major ally in the Justice Department, right? Well, sure. I mean, they, I, I think it would be fair to say that they would be losing a major ally in the Justice Department, whether or not the federal department of justice would completely abandon its work on that case i I think that would be premature to say um and plus you know i would add to that conversation what president-elect donald trump had said about hb2 you know at first he he seemed to be indicating that he would be opposed to hb2 in the way that north carolina uh, rolled out its bathroom bill but then he sort of walked that back a little bit a few days later on the campaign trail and said that he just felt like it should be up to the states and uh, to not over-regulate this issue. So not a whole lot of clarity there on what his administration is going to do. Vice President-elect Mike Pence did say a few days ago, uh, speaking for himself and for Mr. Trump, he he said that they plan to reverse President Obama's uh, so-called bathroom directive to public schools. Okay. And so, and of course, a lot of this this case may, uh, to some extent, move on its own, even without the Justice Department. There's a group of plaintiffs who are uh, suing separately, and there's a lot of moving pieces to the to the case. So uh, it's not as simple as uh, oh, HB two is just going to um, go unchallenged now, right? Uh, yeah, I think that's fair to say. It's 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 not simple. And then, you know, I'd also say throw into that mix the fact that we have currently a vacant seat on the Supreme Court and more than likely, you know, Donald Trump will be nominating and the Senate will will hold hearings on whether or not to confirm that person. And so that also could could determine what happens in a case like HB2, because the Virginia case, very similar to the legal challenge around North Carolina's bathroom bill, the Virginia case will go to the Supreme Court first. And we will have a decision there first, more than likely. Okay. Well, and then the uh, voter ID case is even further along. Uh, the uh, Court of Appeals has struck down North Carolina's voter ID law. That's why you didn't have to show your voter ID, uh, your photo ID at this the, in this year's election. Uh, but uh, and the Supreme Court will uh, ultimately uh, take that case. Um, so in that one, it seems like. Uh, there's there's less of a role for for the Justice Department, even though the Justice Department's involved in that case too. But but you mentioned that uh, he has been uh, supportive of the idea of a uh, voter ID. And uh, um, what do we know about Sessions and uh, voting rights? Sure. Well, you know, in 2013, when the Shelby case uh, undid parts of the 1965 Voting Rights Act. Senator Sessions was very clear that that he 
he liked that that Supreme Court decision, and and the basis for that was that he feels like this is is the terrain of the states that the federal government, especially in 2016 and at the time 2013, he just feels like we are past the point of southern states needing to have preclearance uh, from from federal officials before changing their voter laws, such as implementing a voter ID provision. So. You know, again, I think this is just an indication. This issue, when you look at it, is it? I think I think it's fair to predict that Donald Trump and, by extension, Senator Sessions will will more than likely err on the side of of states' rights in these areas. Whether you want to call it states' rights or divisions of power, whatever label you want to put on it, that's probably where they're going to take a stand. Okay. Now, this all assumes he gets confirmed by the Senate. Uh, right. Is that a is that a done deal? Well, I don't know. I mean, we just got this news today, and so we certainly haven't heard from every senator out there. Um, you know, the Democrats were quick to say that they're going to put up a fight, but their their power and ability to to stop this is limited. I mean, Senator Sessions was up for a judgeship. Uh, I forget what year exactly it was in, but he had a confirmation process where uh, he didn't make it through, and he didn't get the support, and it all revolved around comments that he had made that that uh, many people found offensive. Um, some people, you know, labeled them as racist comments. And so, whether that comes back to haunt him this time around, uh, we'll we'll have to wait and see. Um, I mean, at least at the very least, one thing that's working in his favor um, from that baggage is that it's sort of been asked and answered at this point because he has gone through this confirmation process before. Uh, maybe not to the to the degree that uh, a cabinet. Uh, position would require, but um, he's been in the public eye for so long that there may be some things that are unflattering, but I don't know that he's going to be surprised uh, by anything that comes out that is difficult for him to answer. Okay. Okay. Well, will you stick around for uh, to do Headliner of the Week with us? Sure. Okay. All right. Well, we'll be right back uh, with Headliner of the Week. These are the sounds of someone taking their eyes off the road. Texting while driving is more than distracting. It's dangerous. Do us all a favor. When you're on the road, stay off the phone. A message from CTIA, America's wireless companies, and the National Safety Council. Who is your headliner of the week? Who is your headliner of the week? Who is your headliner of the week? Headliner of the week. And welcome back to Domecast. It's time for everybody's favorite segment, Headliner of the Week, where we decide who the uh, most important or significant uh, or intriguing um, person is this week in North Carolina politics. Uh, So, special guest, Anna Douglas, on the phone. Uh, Who's your Headliner of the Week? My headliner of the week is uh, Representative Mark Walker. He's the congressman from Greensboro. He represents the 6th Congressional District from North Carolina. Uh, Congressman Walker is is two for two in recent weeks as far as elections are concerned. He won a re-election bid for a second term in in the U.S. House, and and he just this week won 
uh, the, the chairmanship of, of what's called the Republican Study Committee in the House of Representatives. Uh, this is a group that um, is made up of its voluntary members. They're all Republicans. The membership level changes from year to year, but or from term to term. But right now, it's about 70% of the GOP caucus in the House. So he's going to be leading that group. Uh, you know, their influence ebbs and flows. It kind of depends on the political climate. But certainly, for uh, someone going into a second term, uh, this is something that will definitely elevate. Mark Walker's profile on the Hill, and that's why I would nominate him for headliner of the week. All right. I didn't realize that uh, it was that big of a percentage of the caucus. Wow. Um, okay, so Mark Walker, uh, Representative Mark Walker, uh, the new head of the Republican Study Committee in the hat for headliner of the week. Uh, Colin, who's your headliner of the week? Well, I'm going a little bit outside the uh, the realm of politics this week, and I'm going to go with uh, wildfires and smoke uh, that have uh, engulfed a large chunk of the, the western end of, uh, of our state uh, this week and I guess in the, the last couple of weeks. But it's really gotten bad to the point where the, uh, the nasty smoke and haze has uh, reached us here in Raleigh and uh, seems to sort of personify the um, nasty smoke and haze that's uh, surrounding the outcome of the governor's race uh, right now as well. And of course, Governor Pat McCrory was actually out in uh, Western North Carolina uh, working on some of the disaster release eff efforts. He had a press conference in uh, an awesomely named place near Asheville called Bat Cave earlier this week to uh, talk about the, the state's response uh, to the wildfires out there, but that's certainly uh, dominating the headlines and affecting a lot of people here in North Carolina. So I'm going with uh, wildfires and smoke. Wildfires and smoke, okay, all right. Uh Fire and rain. No, wildfires and smoke. Okay. All right. We've got Representative Walker in the hat. We've got wildfires and smoke in the hat as we can uh, smell uh, the acrid smell here in the triangle. Uh, Craig Jarvis, who's your headliner of the week? Uh, before I say that, I want to say I would probably vote for Colin's choice because I've been trying all week to find a way to write that these election protests are spreading like wildfire or something like yeah, that. Yeah, there's some great metaphors being had there if you can just work the it out perfectly. State is, yeah, it, it, it's dangerous. Yeah, I think slope. I'll edit those out uh, uh, since should. there's actually people, yeah. <laughs> okay. actually people dealing with wildfires. Right? Back, yeah, that's true. <laughs> Back to my uh, little microcosm of the world. Uh, at the Wake County Board of Elections today, I'm going to, or this week, I'm going to go with uh, the chairman of the board, Ellis Boyle, who uh, did a very good job steering uh, potentially uh, well, high-stakes uh, decisions that, that had to be made. He's the son of a federal judge, and he was very judicious, I thought, in how he handled this meeting and uh, seemed very fair and, and uh, intent on making sure it was an open and understandable process. Okay, Ellis Boyle, the chairman of the uh, Wake Elections Board. I can't remember what he, he was. I think he may have been made recent, fairly recently made the chair. There was the whole yeah. issue about whether uh, uh, Eddie Woodhouse would, uh, right. w w what role right. everybody would play on that. He, so. he was also an official in the uh, Department of Public Safety under uh, Kieran Shanahan earlier in the Mercury administration. Yeah. Okay, well, we've got uh, Representative Mark Walker, Wildfires, and uh, Ellis Boyle of the uh, Wake County Board of Elections. Uh, I think uh, I'm going to have to go with Anna's choice, Mark Walker. Uh, we've, it's going to be interesting to see how uh, big of a deal it is to have somebody from North Carolina um, play, as even especially a sophomore, uh, in, in somebody in his sophomore term in Congress, uh, play this kind of a role uh, among conservatives who are uh, ascendant in uh, Washington, D.C. So uh, Representative sure. Mark Walker is our headliner of the week. And hope everybody will uh, catch us next time uh, for 
Anna Douglas, Colin Campbell, and Craig Jarvis. I'm Jordan Schrader, uh, and this has been Domecast. Thanks a lot for listening. You've been listening to The Domecast, a production of the News and Observer and the Insider State Government News Service. You can keep up with the conversation by reading Under the Dome in the daily print edition or online at newsobserver.com. The Insider is found online at ncinsider.com.